Hi, everyone. Anne Louise Gittleman here with another episode of First Lady of Nutrition podcast. I'm a New York Times bestselling author. Visit me at annelouise.com for all my other wonderful podcasts, articles, blogs, and interviews. And today we have a lovely guest. Her name is Kara Fitzgerald, Dr. Kara Fitzgerald, who's an award-winning ND, who's just written a book called Younger You. And I'm so interested in delving into Younger You because we all want to be younger, stronger, and fitter as we reach our 60s, 70s, 80s, and beyond. Welcome, Dr. Kara Fitzgerald, once again. And how are you today? Are you getting younger? I am, actually. (laughs) And I am doing great. Thank you so much for inviting me on your podcast. It's just a real honor to be with you. And it's my pleasure. I wrote a book very similar to yours. I was fascinated by your title and your concepts. Now, why did you write a book about longevity, living longer? You're in your 40s, if I'm not mistaken. I'm actually, no, so I'm actually, I'm 54. Oh, you Um, look so much younger. You're obviously following your own words. I am following my own protocol. Yeah. And I will say, you know, I'll talk about our research study in a minute and what we found there, but I track my own um, biological age using DNA methylation, using um, the current uh, gold standard tool. And it's true that my most recent um, clock came back at 41. So my biological age is 41. My chronological age is 54. I have, as you were commenting on, you saw a picture of my daughter. I became a mom late in life at 50. I became oh, a mom. Oh, wow. Yeah. Well, I was Isabella I was, James. Yes, that's right. Yes. Um, so with every fiber of my being, with my deepest soul, I just, I want to be healthy. I want to have an amazing health span and lifespan to be with this, you know, extraordinary human being that I get to call my daughter. So that's a big motivation, a noble aspiration, but tell me about DNA methylation. It was a topic I touched upon in my book. You go into it in great detail. How do we know our DNA methylation? So we, I mean, we can now, we can now actually analyze the methyl groups on our DNA. So um, so we know, you know, we mapped the genome, we figured out our DNA, the human genome in the early 2000s. And we've got about 23,000 genes. And it was, I think it was somewhat of a disappointment to the scientific community that we weren't then able to say, you know, here's a, here's a gene that causes this disease. Here's a gene that causes this disease. Sort of the gene disease relationship fell apart. And when that happened, it gave way to this flood tide of epigenetic research, epi being above genetic, of course, or genetic material. So it's what regulates gene expression. So not so much the genes we have, thank God, right? We're not uh, beholden to, uh, you know, our health outcomes based on our genetic inheritance. What we now know it's, is that it's how genes are expressed is where the rubber meets the road. And that's where how we live our lives, um, the environment we're in, our thinking, our connections, the food choices, toxins, the whole gamut. We now know that these are the big players on genetic expression. And there are 
a number of ways that we control gene expression, but the best researched um, and arguably sort of the most impactful is something called DNA methylation. And a methyl group is just a carbon with three hydrogens. And when these are placed on a promoter region of a gene, that gene is effectively turned off. Those methyl groups block that gene from being able to be turned on. And conversely, when those methyl groups are removed, or if they're not on a gene, that gene can be on. And there are amazing tools at the time of our research study, which wasn't long ago, we just published this year, in fact, but we started our study in 2017. So just a mere few years ago, mm. it was only in the research setting that we had these tools. Now, more and more, they're available to clinicians and um, even available to regular people. And we can talk about that, but you can measure hundreds of thousands of methyl groups on our genome and really get an idea of, you know, what's going on, what genes are on and what genes are off. And I'll say one more thing and then hush on this and <laughs> let you ask me some questions. But very predictably, we can look at patterns, these methylation patterns on our genes and tell how old somebody is biologically very predictably. Um, and these, this analysis has become the gold standard way we identify biological age. So is there a particular lab? Are we talking about the 23andMe type genome? No. So 23andMe is looking at the genetic material. We're looking at epigenetics. We're looking at DNA methylation. The, the a lab so we used a company called Illumina, which is only available in the research setting, but Illumina provides other labs the tools. And so a lab that we're working with now in our next study, which is available to people, I can, people can participate in our, our study coming up as they're interested. Um, it's called, they're called True Diagnostic. Um, and there's a, actually a handful of other labs out there um, that people can access uh, and we do, I, I list those that I think are reputable in the uh, resource section in the book, but we're working currently with a laboratory called True Diagnostics, T-R-U Diagnostic. Thank you so much. That's so important. Now, what about the over or under methylators? Is there such a thing? I'm, I'm well, sure there that's are. A, that's a great question. So I think in the sort of functional and integrative space, there's been a lot of dialogue around over and under methylators from a biochemical perspective, um, which is different than gene regulation. My area of focus and research is on gene regulation. What we know very clearly is that uh, we can have regions of hypermethylation on our DNA and hypomethylation on our DNA. And these patterns can be imbalanced and drive disease. And in fact, they drive aging. This imbalanced hyper and hypomethylation can drive aging. And I, I, I want to just back up and say that my entry into this research was in about 2013, when I first started reading the science on epigenetics. And the bulk of the work coming out at that time was looking at cancer. Mm. And cancer very efficiently hijacks gene expression, just mm. takes it over from us. And the tumor microenvironment will hypermethylate 
genes that we want on. So it will hypermethylate and turn off genes that clear us from cancer. So tumor suppressor genes are turned off by cancer itself and oncogenes, genes that push cancer forward are actually turned on. So cancer will just twist genetic expression towards its own survival. And what's amazing is that we actually see this in all of the chronic diseases of aging, this imbalanced DNA methylation and in aging itself. So when we say that aging is the number one risk factor for the diseases of aging, we can see this epigenetically. It's extraordinary. So then the question becomes, and we're at what we actually set out to study, or we did study, was if we can clean up DNA methylation and reduce biological age, by extension, we're reducing risk of these chronic diseases of aging. So it's, it's really kind of exciting. <laughs> so how do you clean that up? If you don't know whether you're an under or an over methylator or well, anything everyone, in between, then what it, do we do? As far as DNA methylation goes, as we age, everyone is going to become imbalanced and we want to do the best we can to keep balance. And so what we, we know this, we know there's two things that we absolutely know. One, we need lots of methyl donors. We do. We need to bathe our genes in. And give me, um, give me some examples. Let's, let's classic get methyl donors. Yeah. So when we're thinking about classic methyl donors, we're thinking about folate. We're thinking about B12. We're thinking about betaine. Um, we're thinking about choline. Those are the classic methyl donor nutrients. And what about methionine? Yes, methionine is amino acid that's fundamental in the methylation cycle. Yes, we need sources of methionine. We don't need a ton of methionine, but we absolutely need some. Um, so we want to bathe ourselves in adequate methyl donors. I would argue that we want to minimize getting those from supplements from isolated vitamins that we want to maximize getting methyl donors from a whole food diet from the nutrient you know the food matrix of a complex diet like you know lots of veggies some fruits um, seeds nuts um, some animal protein uh, some eggs as tolerated uh, lots of greens lots of leafy greens uh, and then colorful veg and cruciferous. So we wanna be, we wanna access our methyl donors from a whole food matrix. If we need supplements, of course we wanna use them, but when we see that cancer has hyper and hypomethylation happening, or the other chronic diseases have these imbalance patterns happening, we wanna be mindful that we're not pushing those imbalance patterns excessively and we know that we don't when we use whole foods. So my argument, and one of the radical changes I've made as a clinician in practice is I'm a little more judicious around prescribing isolated supplements these days. I use them when they're called for, but I will go perhaps a little bit lower dose or I'll go for a shorter term and I will instead prescribe this diet. So lots of methyl donors, the other piece that we learned that was really extraordinary is that the amazing polyphenols that we know and love, curcumin, EGCG and green tea, luteolin, lutein, 
quercetin, uh, what else, resveratrol, rosmarinic acid, just and on and on. These beautiful polyphenols, again, found in vegetables, fruits, nuts, seeds, herbs, um, spices, etc. They seem to direct where methylation happens on DNA. They seem to help turn on good genes that were previously inhibited, and they seem to help turn off bad genes that were previously on. I know I'm making this very, over, I'm overly simplifying it, but these polyphenols along with methyl donors seem to kind of direct methylation traffic as far as DNA methylation goes in this really cool, sort of exquisitely intelligent way. So does that mean that you believe in drinking a lot of coffee, a very high polyphenol rich food? Um, I love coffee. I'm not going to lie about that. I do. I really love coffee. Obviously, if one has a caffeine sensitivity, like I'm not going to drink any, you know, it's one o'clock where I am here on the East Coast. I'm not going to dive into a high test cup of coffee right now, but I might have a cup of decaf and I do have uh, coffee in the morning. Yeah, coffee is very polyphenol rich. So I'm wondering if you're aware of the, um, it's a dog dewormer called fenbendazole, mm -hmm. which has been yeah. found to cure cancer. And do you know why? Uh, that's a really good question. I, you know, I've used fenbendazole clinically, but it's not something that, um, I can't, I, I don't know well, what the let mechanism me let is me, off the top of my head. Let me tell you what the mechanism is. It turns on the tumor suppression gene. Oh, does it really? Isn't that fascinating? The P I did not I believe know it's the P53. Ah, uh, okay. Okay. And the the okay. Re reason I mentioned that is that I had the opportunity to interview Joe Tippins, who had mm -hmm. some kind of very four stage, I think it was small cell lung cancer, and he uses dog dewormer and he's completely well. And now we have thousands of people that are getting well from a dog dewormer. That's interesting. Yeah, fenbendazole is. I mean, it doesn't work out. It doesn't work in every case, mm -hmm. in fact, but so but I don't know that we want to over promise it. But, but yes. in the majority of cases, including pancreatic cancer, the small cell lung cancer, uh, bone cancer, certain types of breast cancer, as well as liver cancer, it's a miracle cure. And that's because of that P53 gene. And before we continue, I want to thank you yeah, once again, my wonderful sponsors, UnikeyHealth.com, the home of all my formulations, including Bile Builder, Mag Key, and Super GI Cleanse, as well as CS-Health.com, the home of the only official activated sulforaphane products for internal and external body and beauty care. Thank you so much, my wonderful sponsors. So I, let me tell you a couple of interesting things. Thank you for that, by the way. That's so cool. And so, and you're right, it's an important tumor suppressor gene. So one of so two things, two interesting pieces. So moving beyond fenbendazole, but certainly considering that is exercise allows for the re-expression of tumor suppressor genes as well. And a cool study that I wrote about in the book showed that exercise in older folks is actually more effective at re-expressing tumor suppressor genes than in younger folks. And polyphenols 
help with re-expression of tumor suppressor genes. Specifically, I, I put a table, I was so compelled by this, I made a table in the book, just showing specific tumor suppressor genes and the polyphenols that have been demonstrated in mostly in animal studies and in vitro studies to re-express. Um, so, I mean, the take-home is that we could put together a decent cancer protocol from exercise, appropriate polyphenols in, you know, when it's appropriate using fenbendazole. So, you know, it's, we've got some nice tools at our disposal. So people should be probably taking, if they're not big veggie eaters, a greens powder, a red yep. powder, a purple powder, a yellow yep. powder. Yep, absolutely. And we actually did use an organic greens powder in our study. Um, in addition to prescribing about seven cups of of veggies and some fruits per day. So yeah. But you also talk about liver. Tell me a little bit about why liver is included in your younger you protocol. Yeah. So not a ton of liver, you know, three times a week, um, a few ounces, a a few times a week. And why is that? Because liver is a multivitamin in a food period. I mean, back before we synthesized B vitamins, one received an injection of of an emulsified liver product. That's how we treated pernicious anemia or B12 neuropathy or folate deficiency, et cetera, um, using liver. Liver has an amazing amount of not just folate and B12, but it's also got choline and it's got, and it's full of minerals and, and some of the other B vitamins as well. So it's a multivitamin in a whole food matrix. So where do we get a whole food liver? Liver. So that's kind of tricky. And we, and we, I, I put some resources in the books. You need, ideally you're finding it locally or, you know, you're going to, you know, one of the big organic groceries and sourcing it there, or, um, I take, because I don't, I'm not a great liver cook at all. I well, do, none of us I, are. <laughs> I know, right? That's true. Well, very few. We've got some nice recipes, but if you're not down to cook liver, you can get exquisitely clean sourced liver from New Zealand. Um, and you can take, and it's, it should be non-defatted freeze-dried so it should, liver. Should it be desiccated liver? Yes or no? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yes. But non-defatted. You don't, you want the fat in there because that's going to provide you with the fat soluble vitamins like vitamin A. So these are liver pills we're talking about. They're liver capsules. Yep. And you, and you just take a small amount a day there. It's just freeze dried liver in a cap. You know, it's just dried liver in a capsule. So you take uh, six of them per day, which is about two bites of liver. (laughs) And, um, and that would meet the liver requirements that we recommend in the book. And people can find the resource in the book. Yep, they sure can. Which is called Younger You, by the way. Tell us more about the book. What else is in the book? Do you have recipes? We do. We've got a whole bunch of different recipes that, so we've got two tiers of the program. We've got the research study diet that we used, and there's recipes for the research study. In our book, in our study, it was an eight-week intervention, and we reversed biological age by over three years as compared to the control group who did not have a treatment. So that program is in our book exactly as as our participants did it and then we transition people to the everyday younger you which is a little bit easier to do and those recipes are in the book as well we've got a third program that i outlined in the book called that i just called sort of colloquially the younger you 
hybrid, which is um, a combination of the two with a little extra protein that people can use preconception or during pregnancy. Um, so we've got, we, I, I've outlined a variety of ways one can use the principles of optimizing DNA methylation, um, you know, like sort of any life stage. Are you a believer in the ketogenic diet, by the way, or intermittent fasting? Yeah. Yes, yes, good question. So our diet, this program is keto leaning. It was, it's not a full ketogenic diet. It's, it is keto leaning though. It's, there's a modest intermittent fasting prescription. So, you know, 12 hours on, 12 hours off. We can, I did, you know, I created another table in the book because I'm a clinician in a large, you know, multidisciplinary clinical practice in Connecticut. And we work with a lot of different patients. And we and where the, are you in Connecticut? It's my home state. Oh, is it? We're in Newtown. Where are you oh. from? West Hartford. Oh, from West Hartford. Okay, good. Yeah, I lived in Farmington for many years. It's right over <laughs> right there. Right, right next to you. Right next to you. Yeah. Everybody is yeah. not aware of Connecticut. Newtown is lovely. Yes, it is a lovely town. Um, we have a large virtual practice, but we are our brick and mortar footprint is here in, in Connecticut. So since we're working with a lot of different patients, we take the younger you principles in the book and then we layer them in to other um intervention. So if you've got food allergies, we can layer these principles, but then take out the foods you're reactive to. Or if we want you to be in ketosis, we can, you know, tweak the younger you to support ketosis. Or, you know, if you've got small intestinal bacterial overgrowth, we can, you know, layer in the food, the FODMAT um, protocol. So it is, these principles are workable in whatever diet you're using. They're, they're imminently workable. And we want people to be able to do that. It's not one size fits all. It's not, you have to do this or, you, or it won't work. We just, we really want to make this workable for as many people as possible. So it's more personalized. Yes. Yes. So if you were to do one major simple swap to, to people's daily routines, what would that be? It's such a good question. It's a, it's a really good question. And it's a really hard question. What would I do? Um, well, let me throw out a couple things and then you can, you can go from there. Yeah. The, I think our, the diet principles of a high methyl donor and methyl, we call them, we call them epinutrients as a group, these epigenetically active nutrients. I think consuming epinutrients in our diet as many as possible is extremely important and probably did made the biggest difference in the biological age reversal we saw. Well, would so, that simply be just adding a whole whole non-defatted desiccated liver supplement? Well, that would be a good start. That would be a good start, but you're not going to get as much bang for your buck if you add liver to a McDonald's diet. As, oh no, of course. So. Yes, but that, but yeah, I think liver is a really smart food. I'm thinking the, a complement of veggies, or as you mentioned earlier, you know, doing some really good quality, you know, greens or reds powders. Um, those are heavy lifters. They are very important. So that's, that's, you know, I guess you can choose your top thing. I think those are extremely important and what made a difference in our study. But I want to say something about meditation or about stress reduction. Mm. A, a thing that really 
kind of stopped me in my tracks was realizing that um, on the biological age clock that we used in our study, a full 25% of it is devoted to genes influenced by glucocorticoids. So stress response, 25% of the biological age clock is responding to stress. 25%. It's huge. huge. I mean, if that doesn't make us take it seriously, I don't know what is like it is. And then when you look at the science, you see that stress of all kinds from in utero stress to later life stress to PTSD to total life stress to working too much, whatever the flavor of stress is, it drives aging forward period. And the other interesting thing is meditation, Tai Chi, yoga are age reversers. They're, they, they will lead to younger biological age. And the research there is pretty clear and pretty compelling. So we've got to take that seriously. We have to take stress and its influence on the body really seriously. And, and for that reason, in our study, we had people do a relaxation exercise, a, a meditation for at least 10 minutes twice per day. So a total minimum of 20 minutes a day. Only 10 minutes twice. Anybody can do that, Dr. Anyone Karen. can do. I know. I agree. And hopefully our research will help motivate those among us who are still not appreciating what a big deal it is. <laughs> so meditation, stress reduction, greens yep. powders, reds powders, desiccated full fat liver. Yep. Yep. Sleep. Sleep. Oh, so talk to me about sleep in our remaining minutes. Yeah. So sleep is another huge deal. It is, if you're not getting it, it's going to imbalance DNA methylation a lot. It's pro-aging if you're not sleeping well. I talk a lot in my book about simple steps that we can take to achieve better sleep, and it's potently anti-aging. We can do it. I was, though of all these things, my most, my greatest difficulty was in sleeping well. Um, but, you know, we pulled together a list that worked for me. As, as I said in my book, I trained for good sleeping like I was training for a marathon. And Keeping what, my room. What did, what did you do? So my room is dark. I invested in really good quality room darkening shades. My room is cool. I have a portable air conditioner in there, so I keep it cooler than the rest of the house if I need to. I've got some background noise, like rain, you know, as, as I need it. I limit my screen time. I curtail my caffeine very early in the day. So, you know, no coffee after, no, no caffeinated coffee after the early morning. Um, I use a meditation when I need to. So if I wake up at night, which I do, I have a toddler, I wake up, I was up twice last night. In fact, I brought her into my bed last night and I got back to sleep with this little toddler squirming around because I just listened to rain and I did a little basic meditation and I conked back out. So there's many little steps that will add up to good sleep. I use melatonin. I actually take a pretty high dose of melatonin every night, about 10 milligrams. Oh, so that's, that's not as high as the 20 milligrams I've heard about. Uh-huh. That's right. Yeah. People are going higher with melatonin than we used to way back, you know, years ago. Way back the in the day. 
yeah, way back in the day, we were only doing 200 micrograms and now we're up to, you know, 10 to 20 to 30 milligrams. The one final piece that we used in our study that I want to be sure to mention, I touched on is exercise. So, you know, we want to have some kind of a commitment to exercise. In our study, we kept it super, super, super simple. 30 minutes, five days a week, perceived exertion, 60 to 80%. So that's like you're breathing a little bit heavy, but you can still talk at 60% to 80% where you're breathing a little bit heavier. Maybe you're creating a light sweat. You know, walking is perfect. A lot of our participants walked, but you can ride your bike. I mean, you can do whatever you want. You can even house clean. We, there's this research on house cleaning and epigenetic methylation that How has good results. Isn't that funny? I'm like, who would participate in that? Not me. <laughs> but, <laughs> <No>. <laughs> but there it is. So you could you could opt for house cleaning if you're so compelled. Um, but simple exercise. I think the most important thing is to find something you like use community if you need it and you know just stick with it you know one foot in front of the other you know literally and figuratively for this program and we can make a difference with biological age it's really exciting so you can lower your biological age yeah that's what you know that's what we found and we'll continue to research it an age later. So tell me a little bit about your background before I let you go. Yeah. So I am a naturopathic physician by training, and I was privileged to do postdoctorate training in laboratory science when I graduated. So I did an interesting, I was in a residency, but I was primarily in, in a laboratory. And I've been on faculty at Institute for Functional Medicine for the last decade plus. Um, and I've been in uh, I've lectured to other professionals my entire career. I've got a large private practice based out of Connecticut. We invite other clinicians to um, join our clinical rounds and so forth. So we're, we've got a strong presence in the professional community. We want to share what we do, um, but I'm just grateful and you know humbled to be get engaging in research on DNA methylation and biological age and, um, you know, being able to continue that. So that's uh, an area of focus that's, that's taking up, you know, the bulk of my time these days. So everyone get the book and younger you is on Amazon. Yep, it sure is. Yep. If you want to reduce your biological age, live longer, live better, live more fit, look for the book by Dr. Kara Fitzgerald, Younger You. Thank and you thank so much. You, and thank you for being a younger you. <laughs> I really appreciate you talking to me today. Thanks. My, my pleasure. Thank you all my wonderful listeners for tuning in yet once again to First Lady of Nutrition podcast. See you next week. Have fun. Be healthy. Be fit. Sleep well. Love well. Laugh well. Until 120. God bless. <laughs>